You know, I used to think Vivek was a really weird name, and now there's, there's a presidential candidate named Vivek. Did you know that? There's a guy running for president named Vivek. He talks a good game, like all politicians do, so... <clears throat> Pastor just said to take all the time I needed. And I don't even know what that is because there's no clock back there. But you guys are in for it. No, I'll try and uh, I, know, I know we're running a little bit behind schedule here. Most churches typically go two hours on a, on a Sunday. And we usually start at 1030. So we run a pretty tight ship around here typically. So I won't make you any promises, but I'll do my best to keep this brief. Let's uh, turn to the book of Philippians chapter 2 and stand with me, if you would, today and honor the word of the Lord. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse uh, 5 right now. <clears throat> it says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Pastor, would you pray today and ask the Lord to bless his word? Lord Jesus, God, I pray that you bless each and every one of us, God, to receive what you have for us today. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive what you're speaking to your church today. God, we give you all the thanks and all the praise in Jesus' name. Jesus. Thank you. You may be seated. Who's running the media back there? Joe Nathan? I have your list of scriptures, but I didn't, I didn't get them back there in time, so they're right here if you want them, or you can just follow along. Praise the Lord. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This, uh, man, I really wrestle with the title of this message. I think we'll just stick with let this mind be in you, but what I wanted to use was getting over yourself. So Christy's just going, all right, I'm gonna, which one of those am I going to put on the podcast? Just take your pick. I don't, getting over yourself. And I want to tell you what a joy it is when you realize that God is aware and that he has taken an interest in your life and is working in your life and helping you to overcome certain aspects of yourself, to grow and to prosper and to thrive. And what a feeling of liberty it is. When you realize, even in some small measure, that you have gotten over yourself. Even in some small aspect of your life, some small element of yourself, it is really joyful. Praise God. As far as this passage right here, there is a tremendous amount of theological significance in this short passage not only for what it tells us about the mind and the thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ, but because of the personal application to us. 
that comes to us as a consequence of understanding his mindset. And with all of our study tools available to us today, there's still no substitute for just basic, straightforward reading and studying God's word and meditating on it. There's no substitute for that. The, uh, the word of God, as it says of itself, it is quick, meaning alive. It's powerful. All right? The commentaries are not quick and powerful. The lexicons are not quick and powerful. And the dictionaries are not quick and powerful. No work of man can make that claim. Only God's word can claim to be quick and powerful. So we've got to read it. We've got to meditate on it. We've got to read and meditate. And this is a passage that really requires that. And it will yield some benefits. Praise the Lord. So in this passage here of Philippians chapter 2, the subject is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the one that's performing most of the actions here. And it says he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant. He became in the likeness of men. It says he was made in the likeness of men, but the verb there is actually became. He humbled himself. He became obedient all the way to death. And because of that, someone else performed the last function, which was to exalt him. And that is significant. Jesus Christ, the man, never exalted himself. Let this mind be in you. The typical mindset of the English speaker and reader is that the most important part of speech in a sentence is the subject, right? Isn't that how we Westerners think? The noun is the most important part. But it's different in biblical Greek. The verbs are actually uh, the most important. And you could say, God and everybody could think, yeah, God. But God what? I mean, what is God until he does something? What was God before the beginning when he was all by himself, before there was anything else? He was relative to nothing, and he was relevant to nothing until he did something. So verbs are very important, and as you read through this passage here, that's what you see. We know who he is because of what he does. Yes, what he says about himself also, but because of what he does, that demonstrates to us who he really is. So starting with verse 6 here, it says, Who, being in the form of God, he was the visual essence of God. He was what the eye beholds of God. He's all you'll, mankind will ever see of God. When you get to heaven, you're not going to see a trinity. You're going to, be see, you're going to see one, and that's Jesus Christ. He is what strikes the eye of God. That's what that, that phrase is telling us. And we've talked about this, this second half of it before. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. This is a difficult passage to, uh, to get into. There's no element of thievery here in the original Greek. God can manifest himself and be completely equal to what he was before he manifested himself. But I want to read you a couple of other versions of this uh, phrase right here. If we could keep it up there. And you could compare these. The American Standard Version says, Who, existing in the form of God, 
counted not the being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped. It's not thievery we're talking about. It's the seizure of something, all right? The they, uh, ERV says, he was like God in every way, but he did not think that his being equal with God was something to use for his benefit. Is that a little tortured there? A little bit, just it's one of those things you got to read a couple of times. The GNB says, he always had the nature of God, but he did not think that by force he should try to remain equal with God. Do these look like the King James here, or are you seeing a kind of a difference? The NET, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. You don't really get that out of the King James. They're different. But this is difficult language in the first place. That word thought it not, that's one word, and it means did not consider, but there's an essence of authority there. All right? There is an element of authority. This is not just your, this is not you and me thinking. This is somebody higher than us thinking. That's what's in that word. And uh, this is an executive command decision that's being made, one made with authority and with power, which he laid aside. That was the decision that this executive made, was to take his command authority and lay it aside. All right? He did not consider seizing to himself or clutching to himself the prerogatives that rightfully belong to him being God. All right? Matthew Henry says that he did not greedily catch at or covet the prerogatives of God. He deserved to be worshipped. He deserved to sit on the throne of Israel. He deserved to be exalted and honored amongst his people. How did he come? He came the way of every man, made of a woman, made under the law. Was he born in a palace? No, he was born in a manger. Was he laid down on a bed of goose down? No, it was a bed of straw and probably burlap or some such. I would have done it different, Pastor. If it was me, I would have done it different. Man, I would have... I would have created this brilliant array of clouds up there right about the, just after sunset when the sun dips below the horizon, but the rays are still shooting up at the clouds. Light those clouds up with the brilliant hues of purple and, and red and yellow and orange. Has anybody ever seen a sunset like that with those clouds up there? And man, I would have split those clouds. I would have had angels on both sides with trumpets, legions of angels with trumpets heralding my coming, thunder and lightning, the whole works. I would have been in a chariot of fire with this awesome team of horses. Oh, man, what a sight I would have been. That's how I would have done it. That's not how he did it. He could have. Oh, he could have done better than that, couldn't he? He is going to do that someday. Something like that is going to happen, and it says every eye is going to see him getting ahead of myself there. He couldn't do that because he had a cross to go to, and Calvary would reveal him to creation like nothing else could. Calvary would not come if he had revealed who he really was, so he concealed it. Time and time again, he concealed it. Not only would he not allow the publicizing of the intimate miracles that he did, in doing so, he shunned the praise that he was due for doing them. We like to get credit for what we do, don't we? He shunned that. He forewent all of that glory. We like taking credit. He didn't need it. 
He sought no glory. He took no honor. He humbled himself. And we're told, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This kind of thinking should be in you. Do not seize or cling to the prerogatives of your station in life. That phrase literally says, because the word, uh, could we go back one? Let this mind, mind, as I mentioned before, is not a noun. It's a verb in the original. It literally means think like this, because this is how Jesus thought. Do not seize or cling to the prerogatives of your station in life. Don't say sentences that begin with the words, I deserve. I don't know if that was just my generation. Started with the McDonald's commercial, right? You deserve a break today. And we've been saying I deserve ever since. This goes all the way back to when I was a kid. You deserve this, you deserve that. I deserve to be honored. I deserve to be respected. I deserve to be noticed. I deserve to be adored. I deserve to be affirmed. I deserve to be set apart. I deserve to stand out because I am special. I got bad news for somebody. You are not special. As offensive and appalling as that might be to somebody, you are not special. The only way that you are special is that you're just like all of the other special people. The other 8 billion, they all think they're special too. Tell me again how you're special. Mm. Let this mind be in you to, to shun or forego the honors or privileges that you might be due. Let this mind be in you, the mind to prefer others, the mind to sacrifice yourself for the benefit of another. See, his was a long-term mission. To accept worship in any moment might compromise the goal of Calvary. To put his glory and his majesty on display would give away who he really was too early. And rather than being crucified, he would have been worshipped. Rather than being put on a cross, he would have been put on a throne. And so he emptied himself out of his divine prerogatives and laid aside the supreme majesty and the marvelous glory that was always his. It was always his. He walked a fine line, healing and teaching and doing miracles without displaying his true nature, that of the almighty God become flesh. And though he did it so well, those that were closest to him didn't get it. I mean, he did it right. Humans typically want all of the recognition that we're due. We want all of the honor commensurate with our station, yet he shunned it. Matthew 23 and verse 12 says, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. How many of you know that God lives by his own rules, including that one? So he exercised his command decision not to exercise the privileges that were due him being God. So do you get that when you read the phrase, thought it not robbery to be equal with God? That's a little difficult. It's a little bit strained. And 
the translators had, and I'm not knocking the King James because the other versions did little better. I mean, you could take two or three paragraphs to try and explain that one verse, but you're not exactly doing it with wit and brevity, are you? The translators had such trouble with some of these phrases, not just because biblical Greek is difficult to translate into English, but because this passage tells us how God thinks. Now think about that. Is there going to be anything easy to understand that follows, this is how God thinks? Come on now. Mm. This goes into detail describing his mind. And beside having to really apply yourself to understand this passage and thinking about it and meditating on it, even with the help of the Lord, the fact is this kind of thinking is difficult for us because this kind of thinking is foreign to the human mind. To shun everything that I'm due, to not exercise prerogatives that are available to me, to forego the worship that you're due, the honor that you're due. Come on now. That doesn't jive with humanity. We don't think like that. We want everything that's coming to us, don't we? All right, I do. You may not, but Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29 says, Take my yoke upon you. And you would do well to look at that word yoke, see what it means, see how it applies to you, because this is an important verse right here. He says, take my yoke upon you. Don't ask me to put it on you. You take it on yourself. You put it on yourself. The yoke is the tendering of control of your life to somebody else. You put a yoke around an animal's neck, right? And there's reins attached to it. There may be a plow attached to it or some other type of heavy load, a wagon with stuff in it. And you're, you're, you're surrendering control of your life, all of your prerogatives, everything over to somebody else. That's what he's talking about. Take my yoke upon you. He's not going to put it on you. Why? Because he's meek and lowly in heart. He's not going to force that on you. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. That's what we're doing in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 here. We're learning of him. I am meek and lowly in heart. I'm sorry, but I don't get that. This is God become flesh. And he says, I am meek and lowly in heart. We're talking about the mindset of the Lord Jesus Christ. God become a man, not an ordinary human with ordinary appetites and ordinary passions and ordinary motives. This is the transcendent God become a man. And this is how he thinks. Folks, this is higher thinking. This is higher thought than what naturally occurs to us. He said in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, he said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. I don't think like you. My ways are not like your ways. Your ways aren't my ways. I don't act like you. All right? And our ways and our thoughts are not just different from his. They're incompatible. How incompatible? For as the heavens are higher than the earth. Stop. How high is that? Somebody tell me. 
Infinitely high? Yes, infinitely high. His ways aren't just a little higher than yours. They're immeasurably higher than yours. His thoughts, immeasurably higher than yours. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. His thoughts are foreign to us. It's a different language. It's a language that we have to learn, though. And we don't translate his thoughts into something compatible with ours. We have to learn his ways. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. We don't mesh our thoughts with his or apply our own logic and rationale to understand him. We have to learn his ways and his thoughts and make them ours. That's why it says, let this mind be in you. Not to coexist alongside your mind. Oh, no. Your mind has to go away. Your mind has to be supplanted. Your thinking has to be replaced with his thinking. Praise the Lord. And you know what's exciting about that? It sounds tough, doesn't it? This mind, to let the mind of Christ become my mind, to think the way he thinks. Listen, if it weren't possible, he wouldn't tell us this. He wouldn't have told Lazarus to come out of the grave if it weren't possible. The power to fulfill the command is in the command. Let this mind be in you. We can. Jesus Christ, the transcendent God, in, 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 translated into human terms so that we can know him. But he didn't change his ways when he became a man. We look at Christ to see and know and understand the ways of the transcendent God. If we're going to get this, if we're going to understand this, we're going to have to abandon our own thinking and embrace something that's foreign to us. We're going to have to let our minds stretch a little bit too because this is higher. This is higher than us. So he abandoned his prerogatives. And interestingly enough, men will often assume the prerogatives that he abandoned. The right to rule your own life, that's his. But he said, I'm not going to force myself. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So he leaves that throne vacant for you to seat yourself on. And don't we do that? Nice empty throne you got here. I'm going to have a seat. I'm going to rule the world. I'm going to rule my own little universe. Mm. Verse 7, it says, but made himself of no reputation. Made himself of no reputation. That is a powerful verse. It says so much about the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mindset is the greater the level of authority you achieve, the more power you have. His mindset was the greater the authority, the more emptying of self was done. And that's what he did. Luke chapter 22, verses 25 and 26. And he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. Hey, benefactor is a good thing, right? It's somebody that benefits somebody else. But he says, but ye shall not be so. Not going to be like that. Because they exercise their authority to benefit other people so that those people can turn around and benefit them. That's not how he operated. He emptied himself out of all of that, all of those prerogatives. I mean, he stood 
our way of thinking on its head with that. So this isn't about us helping somebody else to help us. We don't benefit at all in what we do for them is what he's saying. If you rise in status, then you strive to get under it, to use it to benefit others in ways that cannot come back to you. Praise the Lord. You don't get to use your power to bless those under you. You use your power to get under them. Make their well-being your motive. Again, this is another difficult Greek phrase, not just because of the language, but because this kind of thinking is foreign to human beings. We don't think like this. He set his own human needs aside so that he could do what his creation needed him to do and which only he could do and which he could not do without subordinating his own position, his own status and his personal needs first. And this is the heart of the mindset of Jesus Christ and of God. He could not accomplish his purpose if he promoted himself. And likewise, we today will never accomplish our purpose in God's kingdom which is why he brought us into it in the first place, if we don't get over ourselves and start thinking like him, if we don't stop promoting ourselves and start promoting him. He says he made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself out. And it says, let this mind be in you. And took upon him the form of a servant. He took upon him, he appropriated the form of the servant. Why? Because he was not a servant. This was God we're talking about. But he adopted the essence of servanthood, which is why he had to lay down his prerogatives. He couldn't do what this verse is saying without laying those things aside. He took upon him the form of a servant. And this is a function that fundamentally changes the status quo. The transcendent God was not a man, but he became a man. The transcendent God was not a servant, but he took upon the form of a servant. Praise God. He came to his creation and took upon him the form of a servant. And the question has got to be asked, what did he serve? It wasn't us. It wasn't human beings. He served his own purpose. What was his purpose? Somebody tell me. To make himself known. His purpose in creating in the first place was making himself known. And that purpose continued. And that is actually what Calvary was all about. I don't know how many times I've heard it say that, that God became a man and he went to Calvary to save you from your sins. That was his only purpose for going to Calvary. It was not. That was a consequence of the main purpose, which was to reveal himself to us. Calvary revealed the transcendent God to his creation like nothing else could. Nothing else could have demonstrated the magnificent character of God like Calvary did. Praise God. He served his own purpose. I heard Brother Readout say something a while ago. He said, true servanthood. And, you know, we, we come up with all kinds of ideas. If we were to take a poll about what servanthood is, we'd, we'd get all kinds of answers. But he said, true servanthood serves only the purpose of God. 
That is the essence of what servanthood is. It serves the purpose of God. Now, you can serve a lot of other things while serving that purpose. Whatever it is that he's called you to do in his kingdom, he calls you to serve in a lot of ways, but ultimately it's going to be to serve his kingdom. Praise the Lord. And you know where somebody's priorities are. You know if they've got this down by the way they conduct themselves. Sometimes in a church of any size, when you have multiple department heads and departments and they start competing one with another for resources and for people, I, I saw a couple of gals get into a one-time department heads because one was using too many people and there weren't enough left over for this other one. They're bickering back and forth about it. Well, I'll tell you what, who are you serving? What purpose are you serving? If you're serving his purpose, that's going to affect your mindset, isn't it? Praise God. If you're ever going to be of value in this kingdom, it's only going to be after you get over yourself. And if you're ever going to be exalted, it's not because you did it. It's because you got over yourself and you learned to abase yourself and he exalted you at a time and place of his choosing. Praise the Lord. Verse 7, and was made or became in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, there's a whole lot right there that we're not even going to get into. It says he humbled himself. He just keeps going down, down and down and down. But the readout says, how low can you go? He's going there. To reduce or to make yourself low, to become vulnerable, he just kept lowering himself. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and I'm lowly. We strive to ascend. He strove to descend. We want to climb the ladder of success. He climbed down the ladder of humility. We want to promote ourselves. He demoted himself. We want to be respected and esteemed, and he chose a path that took him to being despised and rejected. That was his path. That was his decision. Praise God. He humbled himself before his creation. Wow. Think about that. He humbled himself before his own creation. How far did he humble himself? All the way to death. It says he became obedient unto death. Not to death, but unto death. How many of you see the difference? This isn't saying that he submitted himself to death, although he did that, because death didn't have a claim on him. It said, this is talking about the measure of how far he submitted himself. He submitted himself. He went lower and lower and lower. And just when you thought he couldn't go any lower, he submitted himself all the way down to the dying process. That's how obedient he was to his own purpose. That's how committed he was to his own purpose. He submitted himself all the way to death. No inclination of self-preservation or self-defense. Self-defense is like a reflex for most of us, isn't it? He wasn't inclined to do that at all. How far will you be obedient? How far will I be obedient? That far? Well, I'll be obedient as long as he's blessing me. 
or as long as he promises to take me to heaven or because he promotes me or sets me on high or because I'm honored and loved and respected or because there's something in it for me. Where does your obedience to the Lord end? His ended all the way to death. Let this mind be in you. It's pretty potent stuff. Anybody getting a little hot under the collar here? And by the way, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, it gets worse. Even, what? Even the death of the cross. Not just an ordinary death, folks, but the most cruel, the most vile, the most humiliating, the most excruciating. You know that word excruciating is related to crucifixion, the C-R-U. This was the death of the cursed. That's how far down he went. That's just as far down as a human can go. And the transcendent God, the creator, did that. How would you feel about being made a spectacle of an open shame for people to mock and despise publicly? Why would anybody want to do that? Why serve God if that's the end you meet? Well, that kind of thinking isn't really serving God, isn't it? That's serving self. That's serving me. If this idea of even the death of the cross appalls you or offends you, maybe you stop letting this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus a few steps back. Oh, my. This deeply powerful passage contains some spectacular theology. It tells us about the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ, which ultimately means absolutely nothing to you if you don't make this practical, if you don't let this mind be your mind, if you don't apply it to your own life and put it into practice in your everyday living we're not talking about behavior management, folks, here. We're talking about motive alteration. We're talking about changing something that's inside of you, not just what you do on the outside. If you change what's inside, the outside's going to change automatically. Folks, there are just some things you can't fake. And, and, and even if you can do it, you're not going to be able to do it for long. Sooner or later, what's inside is going to come out. Praise God. Let this mind be in you. Praise God. I've got a whole bunch more, but I think I'm just going to stop right there. Is everybody sufficiently uncomfortable? Let's all stand. The more I looked at that passage of Scripture, and the more I read it and read it and just really let it wash over me, the more uncomfortable I became. Because of the things that it says about the Lord Jesus Christ, the things that it reveals to us about the thinking of our God that is so higher, so far, far, far above our own. But it says, you've got to get here. 
you've got to let this mind be in you. Praise God. I wonder if we could just close our eyes for a few moments. Every, every eye closed. And I wonder if we could just go before the Lord right now and ask for his help. First of all, with our understanding, with, with our grasping the gravity of this passage. Because he's trying to reveal himself to you through this. He's trying to tell you about how far he would go to reveal himself to you. The lengths to which he would go. There wasn't anything in his life that he spared so that he, folks, this is deeply personal. There is nothing that he would spare, that he would hold back from trying to reveal who he was to you, each and every one of us in this house today. That's why we are given this grand, glorious, majestic passage of Scripture so that we could know and understand him, which is the glory of man, according to Jeremiah chapter 9. But he doesn't want us to just take that information and leave it there. He wants that information to begin to have a transformative work inside of us because he said, let this mind be in you. Oh, God, help us today. Lord, we are here and we stand humble before you when we read this passage of Scripture and we see how you really think and we begin to understand your mind and your heart and how you held nothing back in your mission to do what creation needed you to do. Help us to understand this, Lord. Help this understanding of who you are really begin to rest upon our minds and upon our hearts today. God, we need to understand this. This is higher than us. We can't get there with our own efforts, but you can reveal this to us. You can open our understanding and help us to get there and understand what you're trying to say to us. And then you can take us beyond that so that this thinking which was your thinking, can become our thinking. Something that changes the very essence of who we are. Oh, hallelujah. This altar is open if you'd like to come down here and pray or if you'd like to pray right where you are, but I would encourage you to take a few moments. Spend a few moments with the Lord right now. Let him reveal himself to you. Just set everything else aside. Don't worry about anything else that's going on. Set it all aside and just let the reality of who he is and how far he went to reveal himself to you, to you, not to the person next to you, to you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to understand him. Oh, God, help us today. Oh, God, help us today. We need your help. Lord, we need your help today. God, I want this mind, this thinking, not just this theology, but this thinking to be inside of me as well. 
I want to set my own heart and ways aside. I want to, my own affections, all of that stuff. I want to set it all aside. My own prerogatives, my dreams for what I hope for the future. I want to set all that stuff aside. And I want to let this mind be in me. I want to think like you think, Lord. I want to love what you love. And I want my world to see some essence of you inside of me. Pray.